I just woke up. Don't tell me it's time already. Another episode? Welcome back to your 12th favorite podcast, Reeducated, where we reimagine, rethink, and reinvent education. It's your host, Gautam Yegapin, alive and blessed to present today's conversation. Stay thirsty for knowledge, and I guess water too. Welcome back. I hope y'all are having a phenomenal week. I'm really excited to share this week's conversation. I was able to speak with Lily Clam. She is a equity intern at the Mid-Atlantic Equity Consortium, and she is a master's student of public policy currently at the University of Maryland. She's also worked as a fellow at the Maryland State Department of Education. I really wanted to talk to Lily because her primary focus in her work right now is on school choice. And something that I've, I've you know, discovered in, in my journey through this educational space is one of the hardest things is you have these problems that can be approached from many different directions. So you have the philosophical problem of what is it that we're really trying to do. And then we have an engineering problem of how do we actually create things to implement that. Then we have a data problem, which is how do we measure and make sure that what we're doing is working. And then we have a political problem. How do we get that to pass through legislation and pass it for the entire country? And so each of these problems have these four elements that we have to approach it from. So a place where I see a huge bottleneck is in the speed in which information is passed from one of these sectors into the other. So for example, how long does it take for information that is discovered in research to be passed into the hands of policymakers? And on the same note, how long does it take for policy change to then be in the hands and common knowledge of both the administrators as well as parents and children? And so the work that Lily does in trying to raise the awareness and the information that parents have towards school choice, I think is an extremely important discussion to have for any meaningful educational change to happen. Before we moved on to the conversation, I also wanted to state, since school choice is such a politicized issue, all the opinions that Lily shares are her own, and she wanted to make it clear that they do not represent the opinions of MAEC. I began the conversation by trying to get a better understanding of what school choice means. So, when I talk about school choice, I'm talking about the process of understanding all education options and being able to make the best possible decision as a family with your student which shouldn't inherently be a good or a bad thing but just a critical process for students to be able to find the school option that's best suited for them Mm -hmm. and so how did you uh, become interested in, in in analyzing that I was assigned school choice as a topic from a grant for my job but Mm -hmm. through researching school choice you know I learned that there's really not a lot of resources out there that talk about um that talk about school choice in an accessible way and so i grew really passionate about advocating for more research to be published on school choice and just more resources outlining different options and i'll talk about more later on in the podcast but there's also i continued to come across research saying that high poverty schools didn't have the same access to school choice resources 
um, as other schools. And I think that it's really important that every student has the information needed to be able to make the best decision. Yeah. And so, you know, let's start talking about what that even looks like. So I think there was, as I was reading some of your work, I, I think an interesting thing is actually identifying what your student or child actually needs. And and so I would like to hear some more of what, what you have to say about that. And in terms of what are the different factors that a school can provide that you think kind of uh, makes some school better for some kids and other schools better for other kids? So I think that just there are so many school options right now. And these options are just growing in popularity every year. Um, Even outside of traditional public schools and private schools, there are things like magnet programs, such as the STEM program, which has a focus on science, technology, engineering, and math, or the International Baccalaureate program, which allows students to earn an internationally recognized diploma. And for example, I was in a magnet performing arts middle school that was only established in 2009. And I'm 22 now, so it was only established a few years before I even attended middle school. And I just think I saw firsthand how that type of education works for certain types of students. Mm. Um, The data shows that too. Um, I was looking into my specific program And four years after the specific middle school program that I went to started, the frequency of disciplinary actions, which is where the students get referrals, dropped by 64%. And like I was saying before, at the same time as we have all of these new options coming out, there's also so much research showing us that students attending high poverty schools do not have the same access to these resources. And I think something that I would add to that is when I was doing the research myself, I actually had a really difficult time finding the basic school choice options online. And when you can't find this type of information quickly online, and the high poverty schools are the ones not receiving effective communication about these options, it becomes such an accessibility barrier for certain families. And everybody deserves to have that type of access needed to make the best school choice decision for their child. So yeah, I'm really thrilled that it was something I was able to talk about in my publication. Mm. And so so what are some of those questions that do you feel that parents should maybe have with their children about what is it that you're looking for in a school or what, what is it that maybe even the parents can have a say in? Yeah, so I would just say definitely considering your child's specific interests is really important and just thinking through what they like to do. Like I was saying before, if your student is more interested in like math and science elements of their education, They could definitely benefit from a STEM program and students that are more creative and visual learners might benefit more from an arts program. And also, I think I would just add to that, that some students naturally are going to feel more comfortable attending the school, for example, where they might might know the most people, you know, their neighborhood public school. And some students might want to branch out and try different things and different programs. So it's just really important that you're considering your students specific learning needs and having a conversation with them about their priorities before Mm. making that decision. You know, one of the things that I was really interested about your work is when I was going through high school, there was these six relatively large high schools in my city. And the the way I'd have the conversation with my parents is the way they they had picked where we lived in the schools. They just looked on the internet. They were like, all right, what is the ranking for each school? They found a school that they kind of liked and then found a house and then moved there. And I, I think a lot of what you're talking about is how making all of these options available, learning that you have all these other options outside of just the public schools that are near you, I I think is something that's really useful. And so what are some 
pathways that you think that this information can actually get into the hands of parents? How can we make that bridge? I would say that regardless of what your opinion is on school choice when it comes specifically to the debate on vouchers, because when I talk about school choice, I'm not specifically talking about the debate on vouchers. I'm just talking about everything needed to make um, a school decision, everything that a family needs. So I think regardless of where your opinion is on that, that it's really important that you advocate that every child deserves equal access to resources that allow them to make the best school choice decision for themselves. And everybody should be advocating for school choice resources to be more present simply because it's an equity issue. And I would also say that some things I encountered when doing the research and reading about school choice was that there was often an accessibility barrier. And that would be that either that the documents were difficult to read or that there was a paywall. And I would just say as a general practice to make sure anything you're publishing is as accessible and easy to read as possible. And I think that specifically with school choice, but also generally, especially in the field that we work in, I think that oftentimes the complexity of documents that I see minimizes their usefulness to a broad range of people. Hmm. And I think that with any type of research like this that you're reading, if there's paywalls or it takes money to read or a long period of time or an advanced degree to understand that it's an equity issue with accessibility. Hmm. And then as you were talking about earlier, I feel like that compounds with the fact that in poor areas is where this information is not even available to begin with. Exactly. And so you mentioned something earlier and, and, you know, I've had many guests so far talk about school choice, but it was only recently that I found out that it even was a highly politicized issue. And so could you highlight a bit on what are the elements of it that seem to be politicized? Yeah, so the term school choice is often exclusively associated with the debate on vouchers. And so the political issue with vouchers, for anyone who isn't aware, is largely that Republicans want more funding for voucher programs to allow more students to receive funding to attend private schools, while Democrats would rather invest the money in public schools so that all students will receive the benefits of the funding. But something I'll say about this is when we limit the school choice conversation to being exclusively in terms of vouchers, we're ignoring so many other essential elements about school options. And I would even go as far to say that talking about school choice exclusively pertaining to vouchers is outdated because it doesn't take into account so many different options. And I think our education world is changing and the way that we discuss our issues need to reflect this. And one thing I would also say about the political debate on school choice is that I think that the divisiveness of this issue politically makes it more difficult to find actual resources for school choice and school options. And I don't want to undermine the importance of the conversation surrounding vouchers because I really think it's an important education policy debate and I understand having strong opinions about it and I have strong opinions about it as well. But when you're looking for school choice resources and only find a lot of political conversation instead of actual resources, I think that's problematic, especially with what I was saying about effective communication. And it's so critical that families are able to find this information that they need easily And I don't think that finding this basic information about school options should theoretically take more than a few minutes online. But finding this basic information, I did dig through so many different sources and it was really time consuming. Mm. 
And so, you know, something I'm thinking about as you were saying that, and, and I want to get your opinion on this, is that is it possible, especially when we're talking about equity, is it possible to separate the conversation about school choice from the voucher conversation? Because for p- students and children in impoverished communities is it possible for them to maybe go to a different school without there being like maybe a higher tuition or is it possible to switch into one of these magnet or charter or private schools um without that you know additional uh, financial cost yeah so a lot of the magnet options are public options um just like your neighborhood school it's just a different application process and you know Mm. i was saying these programs are rising so much right now and it will just be a different type of application, but it will be the same deal as your neighborhood public school. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's fascinating because I don't know what uh, my education would have looked like if I was able to look at a bunch of these and been like, you know what? I think this traditional sitting in a classroom eight hours a day and then, you know, writing notes and homework and that I don't think that necessarily would have worked for me. And so if I had had the option to maybe be like, hey, I, I think I'm more of a learner in, in this style, um, it would have been interesting to see how that would have turned out. So we haven't talked too much about homeschooling. And I'm actually really fascinated about that because I, I saw a stat that like some, I, I don't want to misquote it, but it was some high low, high number of like multiple millions of American children are homeschooled. And so how feasible of an option is that? And is that also a part of your school choice uh, uh, publication? Oh, homeschooling is something that I discuss, Not definitely not an expert, and I don't discuss it that in depth. But homeschooling, um, from what I can tell you, is it involves educating a child outside of sending them to school, which is usually facilitated at home by their family members. So that's a large commitment that the family has to take on but Mm -hmm. homeschooling i know is legal in all 50 states and for families that want to be really hands-on in their child's education or looking for a more flexible curriculum option that can definitely be a good option and one thing i will add is that with homeschooling it becomes the family's job to ensure that their kids are on track with the state standards and ready for graduation Mm. And, and I, I remember as I was reading your publication, another large section of it was talking about students who had learning disabilities and how those students can actually be connected with certain resources that oftentimes parents may not be aware of. Is that is that true? Yeah, in my publication, I outline different options for students with disabilities to be aware of, just different ways that they can receive an education that is more tailored to their needs that they are that the schools are legally obligated to provide for them. Mm. And so, you know, I, again, I, I find that um, this communication is is often the hardest part. So when this publication does come out, which I, I, I loved reading, what are your thoughts on how we can actually make that accessible to parents, right? At some point, it, I feel like these things are most useful if maybe at a, when kids come to school for the first time and their parents have to come with them. You know, a, a form of this is like handed out or so something where parents have more access to the information that you're giving. What, do you have any thoughts on that for the future of how you're going to actually get this into parents' hands? Yeah, I think that that's a great point. And I think that that's something that I've really been um, definitely making an active thought process about while I was writing it. How do we get this into the hands of parents and make sure that it's not just 
sitting on our website. So we're definitely going to be using social media to get the word out about that and, you know, reaching out to different community resources to make sure that this publication is spread. And yeah, I'm just definitely, we're going to be trying to get the word out about that. Mm, Cool. And so, you know, moving away from school choice, I kind of wanted to get a little bit more yeah, as I talk to, it's it's refreshing to talk to other people who are also interested in education, who, who kind of have, as long as uh, we stay alive, uh, our, the rest of our lives in front of us to kind of to make mo- changes in this space. Um, are there any other places in the educational sphere that you're interested in that you would like to work in? Um, I think that above all, the most important thing to me is that I'm working on education issues where I feel like I'm truly able to make an impact. Mm. And I think that something I would say about this is that my job has been really amazing this way and they tackle so many different important equity issues. And I think that working here has just made me really passionate about the work that nonprofits do in general. And along with my master's of public policy, I'm getting a certificate in nonprofit leadership and management next year. And nonprofit work has become something that I'm really passionate about and want to get more involved in as well in the educational sphere. And for an example of that, I would say that something that my work discussed last week at their staff meeting was that there have been repeated racist incidents against children of color at Sesame Place. And my company reached out on social media about working out with the staff to conduct anti-bias training and teach culturally responsive practices. And I think that that type of hands-on work that a lot of nonprofits do is something that I've grown to be really passionate about. Mm-hmm. And along with this, I think I can definitely see myself doing advocacy work for specific education issues or becoming involved in political campaigns where I think that the candidate would advance equitable education policies. Mm-hmm. And so for, you know, even for me, I, I, I came from a tech background. And so a lot of the words that you just said right now are kind of, uh, not really in my lexicon. So I'm curious if you can give a little bit of insight into, so you've worked for the State Department and you've also done your nonprofit work and you've talked about advocacy and also maybe even working for a politician. Could you highlight a little bit on how the work differs from area to area because they're all different spheres? Yeah, so I think that I definitely learned a lot, I feel like, of the background that I needed to learn about how to advocate for change and how change is made just from working at the Maryland State Department of Education. And I also worked in the Maryland General Assembly. So I was able to watch legislation be passed. And I think that it's really different and definitely depends on, you know, your specific skill set. But with, um, I love what I love about the nonprofit sphere is that I've been able to create resources and had the flexibility to work on projects that I think would advance equitable education practices. And, you know, that's not something that I was able to do before in politics. But I think that that background just gave me a lot of insight on how to go about making change. So I'm really happy that that I have that as the background. Mm -hmm. 
And so I'm fascinated. So with your work in the State Department, how does that work? So are you maybe doing some research for a politician to then give them the backup to when they present their uh, information for why they believe a certain thing? Or are you kind of helping them influence a certain decision that they make? What, what is your work or what, what do people that you saw work in the State Department, what is their work comprised of? So I've worked in the Maryland General Assembly and the Maryland State Department of Education. And so in the General Assembly, it was definitely, um, you know, researching and tracking bills and looking into different policies, um, you know, creating newsletters and more of the typical things that you would do for a politician. But at the Maryland State Department of Education, I was an intern for the Maryland Director of Community Schools through the Governor's Summer Internship Program. And so A background on community schools for anyone who's unfamiliar is that they utilize partnerships to connect schools and families to the community for the resources. So community schools work to provide health services, mental health support, out-of-school programming, and adult educational classes and more in Maryland. And there's 360 community schools in Maryland right now, which Mm. are schools identified with 80% or greater concentration of poverty. And I think that one of the main things that I took away from this job was learning how critical family engagement is to student success. Mm. I've read a lot of studies that have talked about how family engagement leads to higher test scores, higher likelihood of graduating from college, and higher rate of attending post-secondary education, better social skills. And something that I noticed right away in this role with a lot of the research I was doing was that it just did not feel inclusive or culturally responsive to me. And for something that is so tied to student success, it's so critical that the research and strategies make it possible for every family to get involved. I mean, if the family engagement initiatives are only targeted at certain families, then they're the only ones who will receive the benefits. Mm. And my boss recognized that this was something that I felt really passionately about. So she gave me a lot of assignments related to this. And as now, now, as I mentioned before, I work on the family engagement team at MAEC, so I consistently have the opportunity to contribute to important conversations about family engagement. And so I've really been able to build on this throughout the different roles. And something that I also didn't mention before was at the Maryland General Assembly, the politician that I worked for was a public school teacher as well. So I've just gotten to learn about education issues through a variety of different places Mm. and i think that all of these experiences have really built on each other that's very cool because i think each experience and understanding it from a different lens gives you a different perspective on the on the problem and i think um yeah that's something i i would love to at some point be you know see it through administration see it through being a teacher um as well as seeing it through what it's like as a politician or in policy and so, you know, I wanted to touch back because it seemed really cool what you were talking about regarding family engagement. Did you find some policies or activities that seem to increase family engagement? And I guess before you answer that, could you maybe define what family engagement looks like? What does that mean? I mean, I think family engagement can look like a lot of different things, but it's just making sure that families are able to be involved in their students' education. And I would say with family engagement, I have more worked on um, researching different equitable strategies for teachers in schools. And 
I think that that's definitely a really important place to start with that because I think that teachers and schools have so much potential to improve the family engagement with their parents and make the parents feel supported. And specifically when I was talking about how a lot of the research I was seeing didn't um, seem equitable or accessible for many families, I think that um, that is the place where I was mostly focusing my effort on. So researching more strategies of ways we can make this, the, our current family engagement strategies that we talk about equitable and talking about different strategies. So that's definitely where I focus my family engagement work. <clears throat> any uh, advices on some some of these strategies that you talked about? Like any, like if, if someone was listening, it was like, I want to actually implement this. Any, any strategies off the top of your head that you remember? Well, I would <laughs> definitely say to look into some of the work that CAFE has done at MAEC, which is just the Collaborative Action for Family Engagement. I would say that something that I love a lot that I always come back to has been incorporating funds of knowledge into classrooms because it's accessible for everybody and a really great way to learn. And that's basically just um, using family and other people as, as you asking them questions and gaining their perspective. So it's just a way that you can facilitate conversation about important educational topics between um, a student and their family. And like I was saying, like there's no you know, there's no hours, there's no specific schedule for something like that. It's just whenever that conversation is able to occur. So that's definitely something that I would always go back to. Mm. And so, you know, I want to move on to, I, I had this amazing guest last episode, uh, Dr. Naveen Shamshuddin, in case anyone's listening and, and remembers him. And um, he talks about the importance of imagination and so for us to even possibly imagine an education that looks different it's like how far and how crazy can we actually imagine and so this is just like a fun exercise that I wanted to start uh, just asking everybody but you talk about equity a lot in in your craziest the largest imagination that you can possibly conjure up what does this world where education is equitable look like to you and we can take our time with this because that, that's a big question Definitely a big question. I mean, I think every student and every family having access to the resources that they need to be able to succeed and having a safe school environment with access to the support that they need. You know, I talked about um, community schools, which I, I worked under the director of community schools. And I think that that is a really great model for allowing students to be successful because you know it takes away some pressures like health services and mental health support and allows students to have a way to access that through the school mm. and so i think that in my ideal equitable education atmosphere it would there would be health services and out of school programming available at all schools and all of the resources that students would need to succeed and just um, a safe and clean environment with teachers that support all students and believe in all students. Yeah, I mean, that sounds pretty great to me. <laughs> um, yeah, but, you know, I, I know we kind of went through a lot and I know you you had um, 
you've done a lot because you know that's something that's fascinating to me i feel like i have yet to actually step into the policy space um i've been in school and, and i do a little bit of data work right now but but i have not actually you know been writing memos and or any of that work where it's like uh, more in terms of coming up with actual policies so um any tips that you would give for people who are thinking about maybe coming to work into this space in the in the future um i think that if you're looking about at going into policy or making policy change i think that definitely the first step would be having a clear message on what you want to accomplish and what your goals are and if you're looking to make a policy change i think maybe having a time frame could even be a good step and i think what i talked about before is just something that i really believe in just understanding people who disagree with you and i think just making sure that you're intentional intentional about listening to different arguments and i think that it's so important to understand this just because it might make you think differently about a policy or also because you have to understand why what i was saying before why your changes proposed are more important than any potential mm. repercussions and i would also say that because realistically most major policy changes definitely will have certain repercussions and you need to be able to weigh that and make sure what you're advocating for is the best possible option mm. and i think that you know this is definitely something that you know a lot more than me but i think that to make an effective policy argument you have to have an excellent understanding of the data surrounding the issue and how the changes that you envision or your proposed changes could impact the data and i mean it's it's a hard time to argue with the numbers and to argue with statistics so it's definitely a good idea to have a basic understanding of how to dissect and analyze data for anybody getting involved in trying to make policy changes. Yeah. And that brings us to the end of our conversation. I wanted to say thank you so much to Lily for coming on the podcast and sharing all of her ideas. A few things popped off in my brain as I was listening to this episode that I wanted to share before closing this episode off. In regards to family involvement, I think this is an extremely important part that can change a student's experience of school in, in a far way. So something that some schools do is, oh, bring your parent to school and they share what they do for work, what they do for a living. I think this is a phenomenal way kind of to just get a larger spectrum of all that's possible out there. But I think these type of ideas can be far more enhanced. So for example, coming up with topics that may not really be allowed to be spoken in school. So topics such as uh, gun reform or talking about religion or things that, you know, typically teachers try to stray away from because it may be politicized. I think maybe having some sort of like, oh, take some time at home to have a discussion with your family or anybody. It doesn't, you know, some people may not have parents who are able to actually sit at home and talk. So maybe your grandparents or find someone outside of school in which you can sit and have this conversation with. And then maybe you can like write a little like a paragraph or something. But I think having ways in which your family is also involved in your education may make it where it's like more of a holistic thing. I think this is something I think a lot about education. It's I don't think about life as if like education is separate and then there's like quote unquote real life. 
in my head, the conception of education is it is all encompassing. So everything I do is education. Whether I go for a swim, I'm learning how to take care of myself. If I ever drown, I'm learning how to interact with the nature of water. You know, I feel like every single thing I do, whether it's going for a run, has nothing to do with learning math or science. I, I look at it as education. And so having these discussions with your family not only teaches you about these things but also how does your family view the world what is their relationship with other people the the surrounding and why what has happened to them that made them that way right these are all things that i think if we start to encourage in school this relationship between school and family can can be changed another thing i wanted to touch on is this idea of data importance i think that this is something that needs to be taught um, understanding basic algorithms of how social media works. How do these television and advertising companies actually model their their the data that I provide them to give me ads that suit me? As opposed to just being like, oh, it's a black box, it's magic, they just know everything. Oh, Amazon or Instagram is just listening to everything I do on my phone. But, you know, learning how they may do that. Do they actually do that? And if so, what mechanisms do they use? I don't think you need like a deep understanding of any of these concepts to at least understand the, the basic versions of how these things may be impacting your life. Another way is, and I think this is really important to state, is that in this world of data and numbers, and, and you can find statistics that will back up anything you say. And so what do we do from there? So if I believe in X position and I Google why is X true, I will find more than 30 papers about why I'm right. If I also Google why is X wrong, I will also find it there. So teaching students to understand those nuances, so to balance what they read on the internet, but also with their own personal experience, because that's important, right? When, when you live in this day and age of like too much information, you have to start valuing your own experience as well. And so finding the balance between science and personal experience, I, I think, is, is a phenomenal place where data literacy can be introduced. Um, apart from that, you know, these, the school choice conversation, I think, is really important. And it's something that I look back on now. You know, my elementary school was so amazing because I had music class, science class, PE. We had chess class. We had art class. Like, are you kidding me? Like, that's what made school fun. It wasn't like, oh, I, I love sitting in class doing math all day. Like, and I ended up studying math. You know, so it's like, I think figuring out what your student wants and, and and i guess when it's that young of an age what do you want right like as a parent like it's what type of things do you think will be best for your student and your children because oftentimes it's not just going to public school it's not just so figuring out how your student learns what they're interested in i think these are all good things that can also encourage that discussion at home of what is learning why do we have to learn right is it just to get a job is there more to it? what is the point of life like all these questions i think come up up as soon as we start thinking about why are we sending our kids to school what do we want them to learn like what, what does a good life look like for our children and why are we saying the things that we're saying and so you know th these are all conversations that i think need to happen more and, and I'm, I'm happy to be in spaces where they are happening but apart from that thank you so much for listening i hope you have a phenomenal week and there will be another episode coming at you soon and as per usual, stay re-educated.